Hi, I'm Dan Morell, host of Skydeck and editor of the HBS Alumni Bulletin. In this episode of Skydeck, we talk to Silicon Valley venture capitalist Bill Tai, MBA class of 1987, who has built a whole professional community that notably includes the likes of Elon Musk and Richard Branson around the sport of kiteboarding. His nonprofit Mai Tai Global holds networking events for entrepreneurs and adventurers alike, held everywhere from Norway to North Carolina. Ty talks here to the Bulletin's associate editor, April White, about what exactly kiteboarding is, how he got into it, and how his hobby parallels his work. You're celebrating your 10th anniversary with Mai Tai Global this year. Tell me how Mai Tai got started. Uh, so Mai Tai, first of all, it's a uh, kind of a, it's a very unusual group. It's a collection of uh, athletes and entrepreneurs and innovators. And we have sort of uh, active gatherings um, centered around kite surfing uh, and other extreme sports. And uh, it basically got started around a couple of my passions, one being at the time windsurfing, which later grew into kite surfing. And uh, technology startups, which is kind of what I do for a living as a venture capitalist. Uh, tell me what it is about kiteboarding that you love. Oh, kiteboarding is, uh, if you've ever seen it, it's a very, it's a very visual sport. It sort of combines um, sailing and gymnastics and parasailing and gliding. And it's, uh, it's a sport that allows you to basically harness the for- forces of nature, uh, wind and water, and uh, you can basically load up some power in your kite and lines and cruise across the water and fly. And it's a, it's a very sort of three-dimensional sport. And it's just sort of fulfilling and, uh, fulfilling and exciting and full of freedom. In the uh, uh, 2009 time frame, I went on a kite trip. Uh, I wanted to go kite the western corner of Australia. And on that trip, somehow I ended up becoming an adjunct professor at Curtin University, which is a 55,000-student university in, in Western Australia. I gave a talk, and I was looking at an audience of, uh, of kids. That was around the time that uh, Facebook was really getting traction. And as I was looking at this audience of kids, I thought, wow, one of these kids may go back into his dorm room and code something up. It might become Facebook. And we had seeded Twitter, and some, of, some people in the audience may know Twitter was, was written in seven days. And technology had changed. And as I looked at this audience, I said, you know, I, I should try to figure out who's going to go back to the room and create a company. So I, I announced that I would give free hosting for a year and a little capital to anyone that had something really cool. Uh, I came back with um, some other tech people. We did a contest, and I started picking companies. That little contest now has become, over uh, years, uh, the largest annual technology festival in the region. And that then led to a conversation I had with Richard Branson to start the Extreme Tech Challenge, which is a worldwide startup competition where we have entrants really from like 100, com- 100 countries in the world uh, that are creating little little projects that um, may take off someday. So Mai Tai began as this overlap between the kiteboarding community and the entrepreneur community. What has it grown into over the last 10 years? Uh, over time, we, we brought in a lot of people that have uh, had a fair amount of commercial success in technology. And we've been able to basically harness the community and the people to, uh, to do things for, for uh, environmental causes. Um, the group basically spends its time on on the water in uh, you know interesting and beautiful windy places on, on beaches and oceans, and we decided that uh, 
because we could, that we would try to leave each place that we touched better than it was before we came. So uh, we basically do uh, fundraisers and other things to help promote uh, ocean health and uh, environmental causes that uh, we think will benefit people for generations to come. Can you give me an example of one of the projects you've done? Sure. Um, We did a really fun project with uh, Sir Richard Branson where we did a shark tagging. We funded a shark tagging expedition in the uh, the British Virgin Islands. And there was an effort ongoing that we kind of uh, merged into to provide the information required to show that sharks were important to the health of the overall ecology. And uh, part of our work was incorporated into some... um, uh, a project that led to legislation to ban all shark hunting in the uh, in the area, including the British Virgin Islands. Some of the other work uh, associated with that trip was uh, work done to basically look at, uh, with the University of Miami, um, different kinds of compounds that accumulate into shark fins and other uh, kind of apex predators. And we published uh, a translation of a paper that showed that there was buildup of neurotoxins in shark fins that could lead to, uh, that were linked to Alzheimer's. And we published that in Mandarin Chinese to try to help uh, stop uh, Chinese people from uh, basically massively destroying a species just to make shark fin soup. Bill, with so many of the projects you do, uh, with Mai Tai, with uh, the Extreme Tech Challenge, you've described it as trying to create uh, communities of interest. And I'm curious why this kind of um, real-world community building in the tech sector is so important to you. Uh, You know, you can see it. um, If you look at the roots of technology, it was all, uh, a lot of the commercial uh, success and just sort of uh, waves of of productivity that emerged from technology all were centered around the formation of communities. And if you look at um, the example of the Homebrew Computer Club, which started here in Silicon Valley, it was basically a bunch of kids that had a shared interest in emerging technology that um, really needed a lot of people to get together to shape it into something. And uh, back in the, I think it was the 70s through the mid-80s, literally kids like Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak and Bill Gates and Paul Allen and some of the guys that ended up uh, founding Sun Microsystems and Seagate, they would rent a room at the Stanford Linear Accelerator to share projects and ideas they were working on. And out of that um, set of discussions came enough uh, – sharing of information that people could make progress and ultimately build companies like Apple and Microsoft and Sun and Seagate and literally the whole valley was built on that. Uh, yeah, you recently hosted the the Blockchain Summit. Can you explain uh, what blockchain is and why you think it's such an important innovation? I think probably more more people have heard the word Bitcoin than blockchain. And uh, Bitcoin, I think most people will recognize as... Um, kind of a, a digital currency. And let me let me take a break here to say it's sort of like uh, being able to email someone money. And if you look at the development of, um, of other technologies, uh, Bitcoin it runs on top of something called blockchain, like uh, uh, emails sit on top of a protocol that is the internet. 
you know, TCPIP. So everyone has used email. If you think about what email was before it was email, you, know, you would basically write words on a piece of paper, a fax. Uh, you would basically take that paper, digitize it, uh, surround those words with ones and zeros, drop them in a phone line, and it knew to go from one phone number to another phone number. That got replaced by words on a digital page that went through the Internet protocol, and it would go from one email address to the other. Today we have something that's uh, called blockchain, which is like that transport layer of email where a, a piece of value, in the case of a Bitcoin, a piece of digital value, can drop down into an address stream and know where to come out. And you could basically uh, replace that digital value that is called a Bitcoin with anything. You know, if you think about what is an Uber or what is an Airbnb, Uber is sort of a five-minute email of a car from one person to another. Um, Airbnb is sort of a, you know, week-long email of a, of a place to stay uh, from one person to another. So blockchain, I think, is, is quite a transformative, potentially a transformative technology that will allow a seamless um, uh, liquidity of assets. So it's quite, quite a big wave. Going back to what I said about the Homebrew Computer Club, it struck me that I, you know, I knew all these people all around the world working on crazy interesting technology, but it wasn't necessarily being used for other things that it could be used for. So I decided to throw a summit on Necker Island and uh, got a bunch of people together so they could communicate in person. And I divided up a bunch of really cool developers and thought leaders into little groups, and I gave them 24 hours to come up with uh, an application for social good that could run on the blockchain. And we invented a bunch of stuff, and a lot of that is, is ongoing now. It's quite a fun exercise. So in a lot of the work you're doing, I, I see you as a connector, sort of surrounding yourselves with a lot of really smart and interesting people and finding ways to support and encourage their work. Um, I know that's not where you started. I believe you started in, in chi as a chip designer, which, of course, is a sort of solitary pursuit. How did you get from there to here? Wow. Um, that's kind of a, I, you know, I, I wish I could, I, I wish I really knew. Like I, I did, I started as a, as a uh, you know, I had a background in chemistry and um, ended up moving into sort of semiconductor physics, learned how to design chips. And I came out to Silicon Valley um, as it was sort of forming in the mid 80s. And, uh, and I think because I was sort of in the right place at the right time, it, it, it put me on a series of foundational waves, first in silicon and then in hardware devices, you know, communication systems gear, router switches, hubs, which I, I started funding a bunch of companies there. I started, uh, uh, I set up one of the first internet companies in, uh, in Asia in 1994. Uh, and as I progressed, I sort of went from, you know, chips to boxes to networks to then applications. And then I think when I got to the social web, uh, which is essentially a, a user interface on the internet, I uh, ended up putting together with partners the, uh, the fund that seeded Twitter and invested in companies like TweetDeck and other social things that got me very connected to um, a very sort of uh, a, a very innovative group of people that were very, uh, very uh, quick to catch on to new things. And my life became, became sort of a spider web. Uh, I, I tell people that my life is sort of like, I feel like I'm a spider on a giant web of people. 
And all, I basically feel vibrations happening. And when I feel like the timing is good on new technologies, because I've become a trusted uh, sort of source, I can direct human energy to make things happen uh, at the right time. Is there a common thread that runs through all of the projects that you have worked on? Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm very drawn to disruptive technology that, that could have broad impact. I think uh, after, you know, I think because I was trained originally as a technologist, when I see something that is fundamentally interesting or fundament- foundationally like uh, kind of uh, efficient, it, it makes sense to me. And then having seen wave after wave of technology cruise through Silicon Valley, if I feel like something can have impact and I can have a, a hand in catalyzing it, that's what draws me to to work on something. You know, whether it's sports, when kiteboarding, I'd been windsurfing for years, and when kiteboarding started, I could just see it was a much more efficient way to cruise around on the water, and bam, I was in. You know, and as uh, as each wave of technology has come through Silicon Valley, I get exposed to a lot of people working on, on new things and feel like I've got a, a good uh, network of human capital to help entrepreneurs. So if I see something interesting, I can sort of jump on it, provide a little bit of fuel with some capital, and then power it up with a lot of people that can make make an idea turn into reality. So I think it it just uh, it's it is a common theme. It's sort of how do I how do I find the people, capital, and idea. Um, synthesize those into an entity, whether it's a commercial entity or nonprofit, and put something in play that might have impact. What is next for Mai Tai Global? Oh, uh, you know, we're we're doing a lot right now. We're on uh, uh, so so the calendar is quite a busy calendar. We just got back from the Dominican Republic, where we had a, a hundred entrepreneurs show up in in Cabarete to share ideas and work on some things. Uh, um, we have a we we have components of what we do that are charity uh, sort of uh, environmentally based uh, and technology based. One of the projects I'm trying to put together for August, um, we're here in uh, San Francisco Bay Area. It happens this year that there are a lot of whales cruising around, in, you know, in and out of the bay. There's a speaker we had at Mai Tai Cabarete that has uh, been doing TED talks. The project is called the Muse Seek Project. And what she does is she combines um, the she combines music, whales, and deaf people. And what I mean by that is she has a method to basically capture uh, the audio of humpback whales or other kinds of whales as they articulate uh, what they are, whatever they're saying. And amplify that and play that in a way that deaf people can hear it. You know, your your hearing system is connected to your bones. So if you put something on your jaw and it vibrates, you actually feel the vibrations and it's effectively hearing. You know, when, when people, when kids that are deaf hear whales communicating for the first time, their eyes just light up. And I'm putting together a group right now to try to fund an expedition where we get a boat in August go out into the uh, the Pacific through the Golden Gate Bridge, uh, play some music. We're going to take a, a violinist and pump some music down into the ocean to get some whales to come. And we're going to live stream, effectively, the, the whale music um, into uh, these little packs that some deaf kids on the boat will wear, and, uh, and we're going to film their reactions. 
it's going to be cool if we can pull this off. So with all of these projects, do you still find to, time to get out and kiteboard? Oh, yeah. I was on the water. Uh, um, you know, it, it depends on the season, but, you know, I'm, I'm on the water here in the Bay Area when I'm here probably two to three, maybe four, four times a week. You know, I don't go for really long sessions, but I'm, I'm on the water for about an hour in the uh, late afternoon every probably Thursday, Friday, Saturday when I'm here in, in California. You know, it's, uh, the sport has really taken off in the Bay Area. And um, if, you, if you think about the psyche of a high-tech entrepreneur, they are working in rapidly changing environments with lots and lots of variables that they're trying to synthesize into, into something. And it's a very um, kind of a high-frequency day every day. So it's really hard for an entrepreneur to take a real vacation like that. You know, entrepreneurs today cannot sit alone at the beach laying in the sun doing nothing. So when they take a break, they're much more inclined to hit the water and uh, do something invigorating, exciting, and uh, like what they do in their jobs is a multivariate equation where they're just sort of processing a lot of stuff and trying to turn it into something like a, you know, a beautiful ride on the water. You know, I think there's a reason that entrepreneurs like Sergey Brin and Larry Page or or uh, Sir Richard are drawn to the sport of kiteboarding, and it just it just feels like home. Skydeck is produced by the External Relations Department at Harvard Business School. For more information or to find archived episodes, visit alumni.hbs.edu/podcast.